Pints for Jack, Season 4, Episode 97. After Hours with the Tolkien Road. Welcome everyone. Pints for Jack is your weekly C.S. Lewis podcast where Matt, Andrew and I break down and discuss the works of C.S. Lewis. We're in our final month now of Season 4. Earlier in the season we read The Screwtape Letters and we then looked at Screwtape Proposes a Toast. We then had our month in Narnia when we read The Silver Chair, and we spoke to a number of guests about Narnia, and since then we've been interviewing scholars and writers, and today we're speaking to a returning guest of the show, John from the podcast The Tolkien Road. If you didn't catch his earlier appearance on the show with his wife last season, uh, we, would, we invited them on as part of Tolkien Month. The podcast The Tolkien Road was launched in early 2015. And on the show, co-hosts John and Greta Carswell journey chapter by chapter through The Lord of the Rings, The Silmarillion, The Hobbit, as well as Tolkien's other works. John himself has written several books about Tolkien, Tolkien's Overture, an exploration of Middle-earth's creation story and the role of music in Tolkien's tales. And he's also written Tolkien's Requiem, which is a contemplative journey through Tolkien's most personal and pivotal Middle-earth tale, the story of Beren and Luthien. John. Welcome back to Pints with Jack. Hey, David. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. <laughs> it's always nice to have returning guests. It, 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 just, it just feels calm and nice. And particularly during this COVID era, this is how I interact with most people normally anyway, over a video screen. That's right. That's right. Why not have good conversations about <laughs> interesting, fascinating things, right? So absolutely. So what have you been up to since you were last on the show? What's been happening on your podcast? Um, wow. So since we were last on here, um, we've covered a lot of ground. Uh, we've, we've covered the, this issue of, um, Lord of the Rings and religion, which I know we're going to talk about. So won't say too much about that. We also did a, um, journey, kind of a survey through the history of middle earth, which is for those who don't know, this is a 12 volume, uh, series published after Tolkien's death by his son, Christopher. And, uh, it is massive. It's, it is encyclopedic, but it's also a very difficult work because it covers a lot of, it, it basically covers the development of Middle Earth over the course of Tolkien's life, how it developed in his own imagination. So we did, we spent several episodes doing a, um, a survey of that. And, and, you know, we've just been kind of jumping around too, because there's a lot going on in the world of Tolkien. So, and there's a lot to talk about that we, we, it's kind of hard to keep up, honestly. <laughs> yeah, I know the feeling. Well, in my Tolkien-related news, I'm sure I'd be very pleased to hear that I did indeed finally read The Silmarillion. Last time we spoke, <laughs> I said, I'm going to do it. It's going to be this year, and uh, it's done. And parts of it were really enjoyable. Mm -hmm. few parts, a bit of a slog. Uh, my main notes, if I, if I could write to Tolkien some, some notes on a few things to change is for goodness sake, try and change people's names a little bit more. <laughs> you know, you know, when it comes to a series of brothers, they all start with basically the same prefix. So mm -hmm. trying to keep them clear in your head is really difficult. You got Fanor, Fingolfin, and Finarfin. Yeah. yeah. And they're all sons of Fenway. So there you go. <laughs> I, I kind of felt like that that meme of Charlie Day, you know, when he's uh, when he's in the in the mail room and drawing connections between all of the mail. That's pretty much that was that was basically my room as I was going through the Silmarillion, trying to keep track of who was who, who was related to whom. Oh, nightmare! But great, great, great! Some really, really lovely stories. Particularly, I hadn't read Baron and Luthien before, and that one was delightful. Oh yeah, it's well, it's a personal favorite for sure. That's you know, there's a reason I wrote I wrote a book about a story. So, <laughs> and that was the that was the first one. So 
Yeah, I was going to say, we actually just recorded an episode today for the show that'll be out um, in just a few days. Uh, and the topic was the problems with the Silmarillion, right? The big problems with the Silmarillion. And um, I actually did a video a few months back on this topic and, and generated a lot of interesting discussion. And then this was more of like on the podcast, talking in more depth and letting Gre Greta share her own opinions on it too. And um, and she actually, I think, would agree with that point very strongly about the names, right? So she, she was like, <laughs> she was like, I don't like. I, one of the things I said was maps, and she's like, I'm not so sure about the maps. Not, I'm, maps aren't that important to me, but it'd be really nice if you just had a list of names at the beginning that was just like, this is who this is, and this is who this is. So. Yeah, just just to distinguish them a little bit more because mm -hmm. they they blur. One thing I found really helpful was after I had read a section, just googling uh, or looking in YouTube for like a video summary to mm -hmm. go over the story that I had just heard to really try and cement it and get the names and the places and what was the state of Middle Earth at the time. Right, uh, and the same thing talking with somebody else about it afterwards. I think if I had just tried reading this by myself. And not talking about it with anybody, it would be a even more jumbled mess than I think it already is in my head. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's huge. And uh, and you know that's why we that's why we started the podcast in the first place was um and, and we've we started with the Silmarillion and we um we've had so much so much feedback over the years that's just been like I made it through the Silmarillion because of you guys. <laughs> yeah, and uh, that's huge. That's that's awesome when you hear that when you hear people say that. So, well. Uh, in other news, uh, uh, a few months ago, it was actually looking like my wife's family were all going to be moving near to you in Tennessee. Um, so I was rather excited by that. But in the end, uh, Wisconsin won out. And uh, this is actually the first episode I've recorded of the podcast in our new home in Wisconsin. So we, we very nearly could have been neighbors, but uh, we're at least closer at least now. Well, man, I, I welcome home, first of all, to your new <laughs> Wisconsin home. But uh, I got to say, I'm kind of bummed that you're not in Tennessee because uh, Tennessee needs, you know, needs more good people. Right. You know, and uh, and it'd be great. It'd be great to have uh, to have David Bates here um, with us. But I hope uh, so. I hope Wisconsin is good to you. But I'm also kind of rooting that maybe it's not too good for you. So then you make the jump to Tennessee. <laughs> so we'll see. <laughs> I've been saying the same thing to all of my friends in all the various states that they've moved to recently. It's just like, okay, I really hope you enjoy Texas, but when you're done, come and there's a house available down the street. You can go live there. It would make my life much more easy. Right. Uh, well, let's do some episode segments so we can talk about today's topic. You mentioned it already, religion and Middle Earth. The quote of the week is from one of Tolkien's letters, letter 142. The Lord of the Rings is, of course, a fundamentally religious and Catholic work. Unconsciously so at first, but consciously in the revision. And I'm sure we're going to pick that apart in a little while. Yes. Uh, for the drink of the week, I am drinking a local Wisconsin beer. I am trying to get us back to our roots, have a few more pints with Jack rather than, rather than drams with him. Uh, so <laughs> I am drinking Spotted Cow, which is from New Glarus Brewing Company, which is apparently employee-owned. And I have heard great things about this beer uh, whenever anybody found out I was moving to Wisconsin, they said, okay, spotted cow, that's what you need to try. Are you drinking anything? I am actually. Um, uh, I'm drinking Lazy Magnolia Southern Pecan. So, yeah. Uh, and I this will be the first sip of beer I've had in months. Um, not the first sip of alcohol, but the first, the first sip of beer. Uh, I, I gave up beer for a couple of months, uh, but I was like, I'm going on Pants with Jack. I'm going to have myself a beer. 
So <laughs> wonderful. Um, I have to ask you a question. What's what's sure. dram? I don't know. I don't a, a dram. A dram. It's a, it's a unit of measurement that you typically have for scotches. I see. There you go. Okay. I, I figured it must be something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Now, we don't normally do Patreon toasts on After Hours episodes these days, but one of my San Diego friends, Dawn Jagers, she recently started supporting us, and she's a huge Tolkien fan, so it only seemed fitting. Uh, she she discerned uh, religious life for a while, and her bachelorette party, so to speak, before she went into the convent was we watched the three extended editions of Lord of the Rings back-to-back in one day with Tolkien meals. Wow. <laughs> so she, she's she's kind of a legend. Oh, so yeah. if you'll raise your glass, Dawn, may you always be nourished by the works of the Inklings, intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually. Cheers. Cheers. Oh, and uh, happy birthday, John. Oh, cheers. <laughs> cheers. Thank you, David. <laughs> I appreciate that. So, John, I invite you onto the show to talk about some of the episodes you recorded a while ago regarding Middle Earth and religion. Uh, for the keen listeners, they were episodes 218, 222, and 223. So to kick things off, can you just explain to the listeners what made you address this subject in the first place? Sure. So this has always been a topic that's um, that's near and dear to my heart. I mean, I would say it's something that it's, – it's one of the reasons I started doing this podcast in the first place, and then I have such a fascina- fascination with Tolkien – uh, Tolkien himself played a massive role in my own uh, my own conversion to Catholicism, um, and and that's a whole story in and of itself. But specifically, last year we received a comment. I think it was through. I think it was actually like an iTunes um, review, and this review it actually was like it wasn't a completely negative review, but it had some things to say that um, that I really felt like needed to be addressed. Uh, I'll go if if it's okay. It's not too long. I'll, I'll, it's like maybe a couple of sentences. You can leave out all the positive parts. <laughs> um, so this individual who went by Ettinger XRO zero one, you know they they got the iTunes names right. Um, mm-hmm. They're yeah. Anyway, so uh, the subject was Tolkien is a dish best served religionless. I mean that in and of itself was just like okay, here we go. The comp, what he said was, I enjoy the podcast. It's pretty informative and easy to listen to until the hosts start to shoehorn their Christian be- religious beliefs into Tolkien's works and start telling people to pray communic- communicatively that the good people at Amazon don't make a mess of the upcoming Lord of the Rings show by adding violence and sexuality. It's also rather painful to listen to them compare the fictional works of Tolkien with the fictional works of Christianity. If I wanted to hear a sermon, I'd go to church. Regardless, when they do manage to steer away from that garbage and into what the show is about, it is quite entertaining. And I just read that, and I was like, "Oh boy, oh buddy, um, it's time! It's it's time for some education." And I will say this: um, we actually read this comment, I think, on a previous on a previous episode. Or, or no, I'm sorry, we read this comment. So so we dealt with this comment on this episode 218. And then this individual Ettinger wrote back and he wrote in and he was just like, he he was so gracious. Like he was just, he was like, thank you for setting me straight. <laughs> Honestly. Um, I don't think he, I don't think he converted right then and there, but um, you know, but, uh, but he was very gracious. And I want to say that just from the outset. Um, but it was a, um, you know, I, this was a comment where I was just like, all right, there's just, there's there's a few pretty serious misconceptions misconceptions about Tolkien and the Lord of the Rings that we got to deal with here, and I, I I I laughed because I was going back and reading this and thinking like, 
pray communicatively. What what does that mean? Like that we we certainly don't like have a prayer time on the podcast <laughs> for the new show. Or We're going to set aside the next five minutes of the podcast for the good people at Amazon. Yeah, Lord, I just pray that this show avoids any violence or something. <laughs> I'm just not sure what that's all about. So, um, and so, yeah that that was where that was kind of where it all started. Um, so. <laughs> We we did this episode 218 in response to that. And I loved the tone of it because, you know, it is a somewhat aggressive review. You know, it's kind of, yeah. kind, of, kind, of kind of bold. There are some things that might, that, that some Christians might take objection to. Uh, like that little bit about- referred to as fiction. Right. Comparing the fictional works of Tolkien with the fictional works of Christianity. That's a little bit of a boop, jabby in the eye, right? You know? <laughs> mm-hmm. But you, you responded really constructively and you started- breaking down what was the relationship between Tolkien, his faith, and his works. Uh, so, in broad strokes, what are those connections? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think the way we tried to approach it initially was just like looking at some of the th- like looking at some of his complaints within there. And so, th- one of the first ones was shoehorning our Christian beliefs into Tolkien's works. Um, this is where that quote that you began the episode with you know, really comes into play. It's a, I think for anyone who spent time with Tolkien, um, any, any amount of time with Tolkien and his works, you've probably run across that, especially if, um, if you're already a religious person and, you know, uh, and, and certainly a, a Catholic, you know, it's, it's one of those that you're like, woohoo, like this awesome book, right? <laughs> one of chalk, us. Chalk one, one up for us. team Catholic, right? <laughs> um, so, it, you know, I dealt with this whole idea of shoehorning because to me, like accusing a, a, accusing us of shoehorning our Christian beliefs into Tolkien's work, I, I basically said you might as well accuse Tolkien of shoehorning his beliefs into into everything he did, right? <laughs> like the whole idea of a shoehorn is that like you're trying to fit something into this like really tight space, right? And you know, kind of and to kind of ease it in, and you've got to use a tool to ease it in because it doesn't. It's it's gonna. There's not much room to make that it case. It wouldn't happen naturally, right? And I. I just tried to encourage this individual and really anybody listening to understand that like, this is something that Tolkien like was very clear about. Like this is a fundamentally religious and Catholic work. Um, There's no shoehorning going on. This is something that we're exploring is a fundamental underlying uh, aspect of, of the, of Lord of the Rings and really of middle earth itself. So you know, uh, we try to be, again, we try to be as kind of as gracious as we could with talking about that. Um, but we, you know, we called out some of the things like, you know, what Tolkien had to say and on fairy stories about the incarnation and, um, and the idea that this was like the most important moment in the history of, uh, in the history of history, right. Uh, in all of history mm. that God has become man and entered our own history. And when you start to understand how important Tolkien's faith was to him and how, like you start to ponder that question of what he meant when he said it's a fundamentally religious and Catholic work, you start to see all of these connections and so much more starts to make sense. Um, and, and honestly, the more we find out about what Tolkien was writing, you know, um, behind the scenes and after he wrote Lord of the Rings, the more we realize like he was serious, he was serious about that, right? It was not just a passing thought. It was like, yeah, he really, he really believed that, you know, he was telling the story that was very deeply connected to the story of Christ. But in that quotation, it says that it wasn't originally a conscious effort, mm-hmm. which I actually think speaks more loudly to how saturated Tolkien's life was with his faith. 
Yes. The fact that it, it just flowed out of him. And then he starts rereading his manuscripts and realizing, oh, I've put a lot of my faith into this as well. Absolutely. And then purposefully polishing it and also making some elements a little bit more subtle. Yeah. I mean, he spent over 10 years drafting Lord of the Rings, like writing writing the draft of the Lord of the Rings and then spent uh, a few years editing it after that, right? And and kind of putting it all together. Um, and, you know, I mentioned we, we did this survey of the history of Middle Earth, but you go through and you see just how much he wrote. And and what happened after he wrote Lord of the Rings is he then went back to all of his other mythology associated with Middle-earth and tried to deepen his own knowledge of these things. You have to understand that Tolkien was, Tolkien approached Middle-earth like he was documenting a real thing, right? Like that, that it would, that he was discovering all of this alongside of us, that he was just, he was like kind of relating to his audience what was actually there right now i'm not saying he's delusional i'm just saying that like that's that was his approach as a writer it was his process he would probably fail most creative writing classes that would talk about having an outline and a plan before you actually start writing (laughs) right whereas he sort of charges out of his front door without it without a handkerchief Uh, (laughs) exactly exactly and you know um recently we had on the on the show um an individual named Carl Hostetter, and he is the uh, editor of a volume of Tolkien's writings, Tolkien's late writings, um, that's about to come out, that's coming out at the beginning of September. We've had the opportunity to sit down with Carl a few times and get to know him a little bit and hear a little bit about what we can expect from the from the book. And A, Carl is is himself a very devout Catholic, and um, and B, he he's talked about how there's a lot to be, like there's a lot more that Tolkien actually said about how religion is connected to uh to middle earth right to all the all the legends of middle earth so is all this stuff primarily coming out from undiscovered letters or from other sources it's basically just a a bunch of uh post lord of the rings writings that tolkien did over the course of the rest of his life um that were never published in any, any other capacity so christopher his son spent the uh the remain so christopher spent 40 years, essentially 45 years, really after, uh, his father's death, going back and finding all of these things that had never been published and then putting them together into unfinished tales. And then the history of middle earth. And first he published the Silmarillion and then he went back and said, actually, there's all this other stuff that you all need to see. And so, and so there's all this there and there's still more, right. That that's been found. And so the story on Carl, Carl is that he was fortunate enough to be given some writings that had never been published by Christopher. And so, you know, that's what we're about to see are some of these writings on Middle Earth. So specifically just to incarnate this a little bit to mm-hmm. to give listeners who maybe are not that familiar with The Lord of the Rings and the Silmarillion, what would you point to as examples for some of the things where you can see Tolkien's Catholic and Christian worldview influencing his writings? We're not going to commit the sin of allegory, but <laughs> what is it that we encounter in his works where we see this coming out. Sure. Well, I think one of the biggest things, one of, and, and this is a really fascinating note, um, March 25th is the date of the destruction of the One Ring. So it's like the most significant moment in the, uh, in the history of the Third Age, at least, of Middle-earth, right? Some listeners may realize that March 25th is, uh, is the traditional uh, date of the crucifixion. Right. So it's, it's, if you kind of go back early in church history, there's a lot of people that think that was the exact date that Christ was crucified. Um, so 
that was a very intentional act, right? It was almost supposed to be like a a foretaste of of the fruits of of Christ's redemption, right? Is that we have this one ring um, happening on that date? It's also the date of that's uh, often uh, ascribed to the Annunciation. So we have both the Incarnation. Again, we've already talked about how important the Incarnation was for Tolkien, and then we have the Crucifixion as well being tied to that date. So that's one of the that's one of the biggest aspects, and it's certainly something that Tolkien himself was conscious of as he was as he was crafting Lord of the Rings. But you know, it's one of these things where. Um, you know, as you mentioned, we don't want to commit the the sin of allegory, um, which itself is an interesting thing. How 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 sinful is that really? And I know that's a that's always an interesting <laughs> question for discussion between uh, Tolkien fans and Lewis fans, and, and of course I'm both. Um, but you know, there is something to be said even for the allegory and the symbolism. Um, Tolkien was never on the nose. Tolkien Tolkien never wanted to write and be like, you know, I'm writing this one to one correspondence about you know this thing and that thing. But he very much. You know, told a story that was that followed a similar pattern as, um, you know, as as like the story of the passion narrative when it comes uh, when it comes to Christ, uh, the story of Frodo, um, you know, and his taking the One Ring into you know into the jaws of hell of Middle Earth, right, um, to destroy it, right, to destroy this thing that was threatening peace and uh, and harmony in Middle Earth itself, and his entire idea about a eucatastrophe. Mm-hmm. But when things are really, 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 really bad, it's only at that last moment that there is a turn and it turns out to be the best thing. And if that doesn't describe the crucifixion, I don't know what does. Amen. Yeah. I, you know, that's the crucifixion is the uh, is the great the crucifixion. I guess really you can call it all the, the passion, right? Is the is the eucatastrophe, right? Is the great eucatastrophe of human history. And that's that's the thing that Tolkien says in On Fairy Stories is uh, he says the incarnation is the eucatastrophe of human history, and then the uh, the resurrection is the eucatastrophe of uh, of the incarnation, right? Of the story of the incarnation. So Tolkien, you know, Tolkien viewed reality. He viewed history through this lens of story, um, and uh, and so you know, again, when we talk about, I I, th- I guess this, I I can see why Ettinger would get so would get so mixed up at first, right? If if he was just a fan of Lord of the Rings, if he just read this book and loved it and wanted to find a podcast where they talk about this book, I can see why he'd get annoyed that why are they injecting all of this religious stuff into this, right? This has nothing to do with the book. And so, you know, we had to make the case with him that actually it has everything to do, you know, it has everything to do with the book and, and Tolkien himself acknowledged that. Yeah, I suppose the Lewisian equivalent would be asking why people are talking about the, the planets, the heavens, the cosmos, and all of them, their medieval associations when you're talking about Lewis's books. If you didn't know it, you could very easily read those books and miss that entirely. And yeah. That's what Dr. Ward basically said that all Lewis studies have overlooked for, you know, decades. So yeah, I, I, I can certainly understand that. And particularly in Lord of the Rings, because as you say, Tolkien isn't on the nose. Everything is is much more subtle much more indirect. Uh, but at the same time, when you do realize that this this book was written by a Catholic, you start seeing things uh, like the, 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 the elvish bread, which is this mm-hmm. supernatural bread that, that, uh, that has a very mysterious origins and power. Uh, you see particularly these, these female characters who 
you know, if you've been around Catholics for any 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 time, you realize they're kind of fans of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And there are some right. elements <laughs> in these characters that seem reminiscent. It's all there, right? It's um, and and especially as you start to get as you go deeper into Tolkien, as you go deeper into the Legendarium of Middle Earth, um, you as you read the Silmarillion and you understand, oh, like this is this is the creation story, and there's one God who creates everything, <laughs> right? Um, and yes, there are these other angelic beings, but they are created beings, just like in Christian myth in Christian theology the angels are created beings. Um, they're powerful, they're supernatural created beings, but they are, you know, created beings and there's one God behind it all, behind all of creation. And he is the one, he is the one that pre-exists and, and is the foundation of all, uh, all existence. Well, that actually very nicely takes us into the next thing I want to talk about, which was paganism in Middle-earth, mm -hmm. because you have some people that are shocked when you talk about Middle-earth being Christian. Uh, but you don't have to spend too too long on the internet before you run to the people who denounce Tolkien for paganism. Uh, so uh, for people who haven't really thought about it before, what actually is paganism and why might some people think that Middle-earth is pagan and why are they wrong? <laughs> <laughs> so um, I, I'm not going to try and uh, define paganism from like a, um, you know, and, and think of myself as some expert on it, but basically I think of it, it usually pagan paganism refers to like a polytheistic religion or one who worships nature. Right. So, um, there might be some subtle differences. Again, I'm not a, uh, you know, I'm not an intellectual when it comes to, you know, re comparative religious studies or whatever, but, um, uh, but I think that's in the common parlance, that's what you're going to find from people is, you know, when they hear paganism, um, they think of a polytheistic religion. You think of like, uh, Roman, uh, gods, the Greek gods, um, the Norse gods, all of these things, and these were pagan religions. They were like these local cults that involved many, many deities of varying degrees and powers, and all the stories that were the sacred stories of these of these local cultures. I want to say a quick word about like the fandom of of Tolkien because it's a really interesting fandom. Hmm. You have people like me who come at it, and they're like. Um, Tolkien, I love this guy. I love Lord of the Rings, and he's Catholic, which makes it even more awesome. And and I see all this stuff going on. And then you've got people who probably like um, our friend Ettinger, who like just doesn't want anything to do with religion, and especially not Christianity. And you know, he just loves Tolkien and he loves these books. Um, and they're just like, keep that stuff away from me, right? Keep that stuff away from me. And there's a lot of people out there like that. Um, so, you know, you've got these two different groups of people, but then you've you've got this other group of people who look at it, uh, who are Christian and look at Tolkien's works and say, okay, um, he's he's promoting this paganism in his works, right? So they're they're anti-Christian, which is, you know, you're just like you're completely missing the point, right? Um so um to to go a little bit more into that aspect of it, what people see, we talked about the creation story, and you've got this uh, figure Iluvatar, Eru Iluvatar, who is the one, and this is this is God. This is the God of Christian Christian mythology. But he, we're, we're seeing him through a different lens and through and through different stories, right? Um, and he creates um, he creates these beings. Um, they are the Ainur, and uh, that's where the name of the story of the creation story comes from, the Ainur Lindale, right? Which is the music of the Ainur. So we've got all these we've got all these angelic beings who are created and through the music they create in harmony with Iluvatar, they bring this world of Arda, which is what Middle-earth is part of, into being. 
And so the Silmarillion tells the story of basically how a bunch of these Ainur come into the world and take on, you know, uh, their own responsibilities in the world to form it into, you know, what they had, what they had seen. And so they become hugely important in the history of Middle Earth all the way up through the Third Age, even to the point of where we look at a scene um, like when Frodo and Sam see the elves when they're when they're still in the Shire, they see the elves like traveling through and they hear the elves singing this hymn to Elbereth, right? You know, they're essentially singing to um singing to a goddess, right? They're singing to this to this angel. And this is the kind of thing where we have to be careful to distinguish like uncertain ideas of of uh worship and reverence, right? And even on terms like goddess and and angel, right? You know, or god god and angel, right? Like lowercase g and angel deity and you know an angel it's pretty complex right and people use people use these ter- these terms somewhat interchangeably and so it's important to understand like what's actually going on um within the universe itself every every good character every good figure knows that there is this being behind everything named Iluvatar and that he's the one that even the gods worship right even the fi- even the great figures like uh, Manwe, who is like the greatest of the Valar, he worships. And the bad guy, Melkor, he's in rebellion against Iluvatar, right? Um, and and so Iluvatar stands behind it all, right? Um, so you know that's that's kind of I think where the criticism comes from is some people see like all these gods, all these powerful beings, um, and the role they play, and they think, oh, this is some kind of weird paganism that Tolkien is bringing to us in this story. Um, and they see like the elves singing a hymn to Elbereth and they say, oh, they're worshiping a goddess. You know, that's, that's, you know, that violates the, um, which commandment is that the second commandment? First commandment. Well, there you go. The first, der. <laughs> I was thinking, yeah, I get them all mixed up. The numbering. Anyway. It's okay. You're Catholic now. You're allowed to get all that stuff confused. That's, that's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> it just all pours in. Yeah. So, um, anyway, there we have, um, you know, that's kind of the breakdown on on why people accuse Lord of the Rings and Middle Earth of paganism, of being pagan. Um, and what's interesting is you'll find actual pagans who also want to claim it for themselves. <laughs> for themselves. So you got to. That's why I said this fandom is so is so fascinating because you get the people who hate religion, you get the people who love Tolkien and love uh, love Christianity and embrace it, uh, embrace both. And just go whole hog into all of it, and then you've got the Christians who don't want to have anything to do with it because it's pagan, and then you've got the pagans who want to who want to embrace it because it's pagan. So, <laughs> fun times. Yeah, def- definitely, definitely separates people out into their respective groups. Um, but how 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 do we navigate this? You said that that there are some distinctions that we kind of have to make. Uh, do we see distinctions in the stories themselves as to how, say, the elves treat and speak of Eru, uh, Iluvatar, and how they speak of, of the Valar. Um, yeah, and, and it may not be necessarily in terms of um, how they speak of him, but it's it's certainly there's this distinction in terms of in terms of relationships between various characters. What we can say about the elves is they don't seem to have any kind of um, any kind of religion in the same way that human beings would, right? Um, they, they very much have, um, they very much have a relationship with this figure Elbereth, like Catholics would have with the Blessed Virgin Mary, uh, which is this hyperdulia, right? They, they, they kind of adore her. She's the one, I mean, she literally is the one that like hung the stars in the sky, right? And they're in this mythology, right? Um, 
but she's a creative being as well. And the elves would know that. The elves would actually know that uh, within this story. They would know that she is subordinate to Iluvatar because many of the elves spent long ages, long periods of time in Valinor where Manwe and Elbereth uh, lived on this mountain where they basically, they were the ones that communi- that still communicated with Iluvatar. We don't really see like a lot in the, w- in the way of explicit religion when it comes to, um, you know, when it comes to the elves. But we do, uh, we do kind of see this that they would have this understanding that you know Elbereth is not is not like an ultimate deity, and so we're not worshiping her as the ultimate god, right? Um, and and I think any Catholic should be comfortable with that, right? Any Catholic should understand if if we can say all all the things that we say about the Blessed Virgin Mary, then why can't the elves say all that they would say about Elbereth, right? So. You know that's that's one way of of possibly looking at that, but I think that just distinction, and that's one of the things we try to talk about on episode two twenty two, is this distinction between uh, latria, which is the form of worship we give to God, and then dulia, which is the veneration that we'd give to saints, and hyperdulia is the veneration that we give to Mary. That's the those are the catechetical terms you'll find in the in the Catechism of the Catholic mm-hmm. Church that distinguish between those things. One of the things that I talked about was, and, and this is fun because. This is also an opportunity to, to for maybe non-Catholics to to hear us talking about these things and maybe understand some of this a little bit better because I can know I know as a as a non-Catholic myself I was I was maybe a little more sensitive you know to uh, to anybody getting yeah. getting glory right but God right mm-hmm. so I talked about how in Mass um, you know one of the uh, I believe this is a this is part of often part of a preface part of the preface um, so right before you're entering into or right as you're entering into the liturgy of the Eucharist. It'll say something along the lines of, and so with angels and archangels, with thrones and dominions, and with all the hosts and powers of heaven, we sing the hymn of your glory as without end we acclaim. So there's this idea that like we're all joining in together with all of these other angelic beings to worship the one God, right? But we also have feast days for specific angels, you know, within the church. Mm-hmm. So uh, guardian angels, uh, the archangels. So, you know, this is all, again, as Catholics and we would be comfortable with this, and it's completely in keeping with what Tolkien would have thought about these ideas as well. And so when we understand that, we can understand, wait, he's not promoting paganism. He's understanding this like incredible view of reality that incorporates all these things into um in, into a you know a Christian view of real of the cosmos. And and when I read the creation myth from the Silmarillion, uh, the the word that kept coming to mind for me was co-worker. Mm. That Iluvatar, he is he is the one bringing this song about. It, it's something that Lewis absolutely stole from him in uh, the Magician's Nephew. But we'll <laughs> lay that aside. Um, but you're in in the Silmarillion. You have God leading this song, and then all of these angels then joining in and contributing and riffing off, you know, the themes. Mm-hmm. And it's in that that you then see some people choose to rebel against those themes right uh but then others are still working with it uh and and then this then flows out into the children of Iluvatar, the elves and the men and the surprise entry of the dwarves uh that in in all of these things they are they are co-workers in building middle earth Mm -hmm. Uh, but it is still ultimately Iluvatar who is in control there's the line right at the beginning uh, after after the satanic rebellion of the silmarillion and uh, Iluvatar says that anything you do will prove to be but mine instrument. Basically, right. that whatever you do, I'm going to work it for good. Mm-hmm. And 
his instruments for all of those things are some of the other valor, the elves, the men and the dwarves. Absolutely. And you use the term um, co-worker. And that reminds me very much of the idea of subcreation, right? That God has, and this is a Tolkienian idea, that God has certain things that he would have in mind to create, but instead of just creating them directly himself, he involves us in that process of creation, right? That all of this story that we're in, in, in our own lives, and in this, in this history that we're living is a part of, that we're involved in building this final reality, right, through our lives. And that's a really fascinating way to view our lives as Christians, right, our lives as human beings. Um, that we just, I mean, you can discover so much meaning through that inside itself. And we see that all starting out within the story where the Valar the, uh, or the Ainur are the very first ones to participate in that, right? And, and we also see in that that there, he does this because he doesn't just create one child, he creates maybe millions of children, right? So that they can, they can work together and have this harmony that they create. Because we all know that a, a, a simple melody is a beautiful thing, but a beautiful, complex harmony is, just takes your breath away, right? Blows your mind. And we see that idea being played out from the very beginning in um, Tolkien's works. I think there's a there's a extremely magnificent theology of beauty going on from the very beginning in um, in Tolkien's works. But I just love that picture of all these creatures being created to work together. And um, and I think one of the whenever I'm talking to somebody about like um, the veneration that Catholics give to saints, and I'm trying to explain this, I I talk about like as a father. I'm delighted when my kids um, delight in one another. Like when they, when they like, when they're like, awesome job, man. Right. Or, you know, like, um, uh, like when my boys are playing baseball or something like that and one of them makes a good play and they're like, oh yeah, you know, great play, right? You know, and, or, or just as like being a coach on a team or something like that and your players do something awesome. It's 10 times as awesome. It It's awesome when they do something really great. It's 10 times as awesome when they, um, when they're like getting fired up together about it. Right. And they're just like, they've done something wonderful. Right. And and it's beautiful when they're there to pick each other up too, when they, when they fail at something, you know? And so we see this, we see the beauty of like relationships coming through and all of that as well. And of course God delights in that. Of course. I mean, why wouldn't he, we all, we all know on a natural level that we delight in that. And so why wouldn't they? And so, you know, this idea of like, uh, praying to the saints or pra- even praising the saints, um, it's not to take glory away from God, it's to increase the glory of God in the mm. end. The, the analogy I often use is uh, that of an artist and, and his art. If you if you go to an artist's gallery, uh, you want to visit with the artist, of course. Mm-hmm. You also want to praise what he's done and point out to everyone that's in the gallery, do you see what he's done here? Do you see the amazing, beautiful thing that he helped produce here? I would say on, on a on a personal level, particularly when somebody has been really important to me in my life, uh, usually the best praise I can ever give is for their children. Mm-hmm. You know, to tell somebody, hey, you did a great job. These kids are amazing. It's always beautiful to hear, you know, hear when folks have said that to me. Um, you know, your response as a father is, is, to, is to say, is to kind of be like, yeah. Thank goodness they look, take after their mother. Yeah. Right. <laughs> or, or just be like, yeah, you know, you... You see them in the moments when they're well behaved, but uh, you know, but, but it is beautiful, and it is it does reflect upon you as a uh, you know as a parent as well um, when when people do make those kinds of comments. So yeah, it, uh, it definitely makes makes you feel nice to hear, hear those kind. Mm. It's definitely better in here. Like, man, your kid's a real brat. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs>
Yep, takes after his dad. Uh, right, right. Yeah, I, I and 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 from this conversation, it, it, I think it hopefully is then very clear to people who haven't dug too much into Tolkien or his relationship with religion that understanding Tolkien's Catholicism will shed light on an awful lot of stuff that happens inside Lord of the Rings and vice versa, because you get to encounter the same ideas, but in a very different setting. They're stripped of their of their Sunday school associations. Mm-hmm. You get to encounter it in a, in a different form. And this is also a very important issue for fans of Lewis, because Lewis is also accused by uh, some people in certain branches of Christianity of, of endorsing paganism. You know, they'll yeah. point to the Ransom Trilogy, some various scenes in Narnia that don't make a whole lot of sense to them, but they they misunderstand what Lewis is doing. And and they're also not seeing the generosity that he had towards paganism. Because mm-hmm. he even says himself, one of the really nice things when he became a Christian is that he didn't have to say all other religions were utterly wrong, that there were good elements. And what he was doing was drawing those into his stories. And even in mere Christianity, he says that the pagan myths, uh, they were good dreams sent by mm-hmm. God. And the stories which they wrote down, they, they expressed these dreams and also just the longings of the human heart. We recently had Dr. Lewis Marcos on the show talking about his book, Myth Made Fact, in which he unpacks lots of the pagan myths, showing how they foreshadow Christ, because it is so essential to what humans yearn for, right. uh, that eventually the myth became fact. You know, Jesus came, was incarnated, and all of the longings, all of the uh, intuitions and intimations that the pagans had had reached their conclusion. Mm-hmm. And Lewis was just very generous in that, and he could, uh, he could indulge his love of paganism by placing it in this context where, in the case of Narnia, there is still only one true king, which is Aslan. Right. And likewise with Tolkien, the fact that he can express his love for uh, all of these other myths uh, by still placing it in a framework that is still actually compatible with Christianity. Yeah. Well, and I mean, obviously, as I'm sure your listeners know, Lewis and Tolkien bounce these ideas off of one another, right? I mean, they they would have been, you know, discussing these things in a lot of detail. And they and it's important to realize they both for they both grew up being classically educated. They would have been immersed in the mythology of these ancient cultures and and that's where so much of their um, desire to tell stories came from, right? They loved, they loved these stories. They didn't, they didn't believe them in a religious sense, but they, they believed in the beauty of them, and they remembered how they made them feel, and, and so that was something they shared. They wanted to incorporate, and and I think, honestly, who's to know what what these stories are, right? Who's to know what these little glimpses from all over these different civilizations in the past are? What we know is that Christ is supreme, right? What we know is that, you know, Christ reigns over all. But I mean, the ancient world is still such a mystery to us. What, what was going on there? I don't know. <laughs> and I think that was just something that fascinated both Tolkien and Lewis. Yeah. Now, what kind of feedback did you have after you put out these episodes? Uh, mostly positive. Um, and, and I think I mentioned already that Ettinger did write us back after episode 218 and just said, you know, um, I really appreciate everything you said. And he, he was, he was a little bit apologetic and, um, you know, and basically just said, I didn't realize that stuff. And it's a real lesson for me because sometimes, you know, especially when someone, when somebody sends kind of a, a shot across your bow and, and, you know, and, and seems to be, it seems to be getting a little personal in the comment, it's real easy. And I'm, and, and I, this is an area that I'm always trying to grow in is to not want to, uh, you know, to return fight fire with fire. Right. Um, mm-hmm. 
I think I did a pretty good job of that on the episode and we ended up having a, a, a good dialogue, you know, just not very long, but a short dialogue back and forth between uh, over email. And, you know, he basically just said, like, I really appreciate how you handled that. And, you know, I'm I'm definitely feel like I've been upgraded in my in my knowledge of these things. You know, he, he said, I, I'm not I'm not going to like planning on embracing Christianity anytime soon, but I do appreciate that. We have a lot of listeners who are Christian or Catholic, and you know they were, of course, pretty positive about it all. We have uh, one longtime listener who uh, uh, corresponds with us frequently, frequently, and uh, he's like he basically said, you know, I'm atheist. I've been a Tolkien fan for a long time. The idea that you know religion shouldn't matter to understanding Tolkien's works is just silly, right? Like he's like any you know, it's it's like saying if there was a um, for, for studying any any great work of literature that it doesn't matter, you know, like, oh, it doesn't matter that, um, you know, uh, Dostoevsky was Russian, right? When you're trying to mm-hmm. understand um, Brothers Karamazov or Crime and Punishment, right? Like, that doesn't have anything to do with it. It has everything to do with it, right? It, it's, it helps you gain insight into what was actually going on in his mind, right? Um, what, were the, what were the deeper things that influenced this work? So overall, I think there was a lot of, a, a lot of appreciation out there. I do wonder what other people might have thought who didn't write back. And I, I do wonder, you know, if there's folks out there who, you know, maybe they stopped listening because they didn't like what we were saying. <laughs> I don't know. Um, and I, I certainly hope that's not the case because we we really like want to encourage people to listen even when they even when they disagree. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we, we want to bring all ideas to the table and um, have a discussion about the various things that are important in the world of, of Tolkien fandom. But overall, very positive feedback. And I think... Understanding more of the background of an author can generally only help your understanding of their work. Oh, absolutely. Well, and one of the other points, like he was like, you know, it would be like saying that Tolkien and his uh, being part of World War One had no, like, had no bearing on, like, mm-hmm. of course, everything that is a part of a person's life goes into the things that uh, that they ultimately produce. And sometimes it's not immediately clear how that is, but you know, you spend enough time with it, you can understand it, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was like when we were talking about the Tolkien movie, I I said, by and large, I quite liked it. They got most of Tolkien's loves in there. They got his love for language. They got his love for Edith. Right. Uh, But rather, ironically, in this case, because it was around the other way, they completely missed his love of his faith. But but just understanding those just sheds so much light on someone's work. What somebody loves, it, it can't help but come out in their work. Exactly. Now, while I've got you here, I have to ask you about Latron Prime. Right. Uh, so for new Pints of Chat listeners who are unaware of Latron Prime, what is Latron Prime and what is the latest news? So Latron Prime is my kind of joking shorthand term for Lord of the Rings on Prime, which is the uh, show that Amazon has been developing for, gosh, I think like three or four years now. Um, mm. It is the the most expensive tv show in history um they they paid an obscene amount of money for the rights to tell to tell the stories that basically precede lord of the rings and the legendarium of middle earth and we're talking about precede we're talking about way ancient history so three thousand years before lord of the rings so what do you need to know about this show um well there's not a whole lot we know about it yet but i will tell you that it takes place it's this it's basically going to tell the story of numenor and how um how the rings of power came to be, right? So Sauron is likely to be the main protagonist of this, sh- or the main antagonist of this show. Um, and it's, and I would not be surprised if it's called Lord of the Rings and then with a kind of a subtitle and that's how they try to approach it because Lord of the Rings is such a powerful brand and Sauron is the Lord of the Rings and the show is kind of about how he 
created the rings in the first place. So it's it's going to tell the story of the second age and of Numenor. Numenor is particularly interesting. Um, Numenor is basically the kingdom of men that preceded Gondor, right? So we all know Gondor from Lord of the Rings. Um, Gondor was this great kingdom of men, and it was kind of in decline at the time of uh, Lord of the Rings. But at the end of Lord of the Rings, um, Aragorn becomes king again of Gondor and actually Arnor, which people might not be as familiar with that, but it's kind of like different king, like Arnor is the northern kingdom and Gondor is the southern kingdom. Well, Numenor was this island kingdom that was given to given to a certain group of men who had aided the forces of good, basically the Elvish forces and their struggle against Morgoth in the first age. Now, I'm I'm already stretching it, so I'm trying to like not get too deep and nerd out too much on this stuff. Dave, David understands a little bit of what I'm talking about here, but um, you, you're going to have a kind of a lot to learn, and they and they've got a real challenge in like how do they communicate these these things to people. Um, but Numenor is very fascinating on this particular topic of of religion in Middle Earth because Numenor actually had a religion. Numenor actually had a religion. It was an island kingdom, and it had this huge mountain in the middle of it that was called the mental tarma or the or the pillar of heaven right the pillar of the heavens and three times a year the king of numenor was supposed to go up on this mountain and he was he was they basically they basically led this pilgrimage up onto the top of this mountain and it was completely silent and they offered prayers to iluvatar right they offered prayers to the one god on the top of this mountain this is all in unfinished tales which is uh so so this, these were writings that Tolkien had not published when he died, but uh, these are found, that those details can be found in the book Unfinished Tales, um, which goes into more aspects of the of the history of Numenor as well. Um, but I am very much hoping that they that they don't shy away from dealing with that aspect of the story because it's clear to me the more I learn about Numenor and what Tolkien had to say about Numenor and what he thought about Numenor that this was kind of a key thing to understanding what Numenor was. Right, it was this first island. It was this first kingdom, like great kingdom of men on in in the world, and 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 they really had kind of this missionary aspect to them. Right, they were supposed to take this great gift they had been given, this knowledge of the one true God, and they were then supposed to go to the rest of to to the other kingdoms of men in Middle Earth and like tell them about the one true God and that that He was there and that they didn't have to like serve darkness. They didn't have to serve these other you know, kingdoms of death, they didn't have to serve the Saurons of the world, right? Um, that there was meaning so and purpose. they were cool to be maybe light to the nations? Yeah, right? That, like, I mean, seriously, <laughs> it really it really does look like that, right? You you read this and you just can't help but thinking like, man, the parallels here to, um, to like the, to Christianity are just incredible, right? Um, you know, in terms of what they were supposed, what they were supposed to be. But we also see in the course of their story that they go from being, um, Kind of, they they go from like establishing these like uh like little outposts in Middle Earth to be like to kind of meet people and like tell and like you know introduce them to their culture. They transform from that from being kind of a, a beneficiary into um or a benefactor into um really like oppressing and and even enslaving some of these peoples. Right, so it becomes this thing where they go from being good and they just decline into corruption and all these sorts of things, and eventually they. They turn away from the worship of Iluvatar and start worshiping Melkor. So it's even more explicitly religious than than Lord of the Rings. It's the, than the book Lord of the Rings. So I'm really hopeful that they um, that they that they don't shy away from that aspect of it. I'm not saying that it needs to be the only thing that matters. I'm just saying 
if they shy away from it, then shame on them. Like they're just, then, you know, it's, it's going to be a real, it's going to be a real shame if they do that. And what's the latest news from Latron Prime in terms of the production, the state of things, timelines? What are we looking at? Apparently the first uh, season will debut on September 2nd of 2022. So uh, a little more than a year away. Uh, That was just announced a few weeks ago. Uh, They released that news along with an image that was kind of a surprise because uh, it was an image that seemed to depict um, that seemed to depict Valinor, uh, it, or not not actually Valinor, but it seemed to depict um, Tyrion, which is a city in Amon, the Blessed Realm, and it seems to have depicted it uh, even before the First Age, so very on in the Silmarillion, which is thousands of years before the Second Age. So it had everybody being like, "What is going on here? Wow!" Or what? what what are we there's some people thinking are we really going to get the Silmarillion and they've just been saying the second age you know or like what's going on so I know they're just milking it right they're just trying to get the <laughs> you know the fans going and and eventually I mean I think I think a year a year maybe 13 14 months from now everybody is going to know about this show I mean it's going to be one of those things right um and mm. so as, as a Tolkien fan as somebody who has a Tolkien podcast it's very exciting um but you're, it's it's mixed feelings too because you say to yourself, um, I want more people to know these stories, and I want to see them brought to screen myself in a in a beautiful way that does justice to 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 Tolkien's own vision. But I also know that uh, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of numbskulls in Hollywood, <laughs> and there's a, and when there's a lot of money attached to something, everybody wants a piece of it, and they do, and they will. Uh, I my the the thing. The thing that I remember most from when The Lord of the Rings was brought to the films was, I think on the MTV Movie Awards one year, they had Gollum, like a computer animated Gollum, like interacting with the host or something like that. It was it was Andy Serkis when he was receiving an award. Oh, was that what it was? Okay. And, and mm-hmm. I just, I was like, how can you do this to Gollum? That makes it a little worse <laughs> that it was Andy Serkis. I would have been like, uh, come on. Um, but it's just like... <laughs> that like you can't do that like i'm not against having fun but you just can't do that so <laughs> anyway um you know i hope we're able to avoid some of that but it's a it's a very exciting thing and and i'm i'm trying to be cautiously optimistic there's a lot of tolkien fans who are like oh this thing's going to be a disaster and um and and there's rumors going around you know everybody everybody has already rushed to judgment on what this thing is going to be it's either going to be amazing or it's going to be uh the worst thing ever and it's going to be full of sex and violence and you know Families aren't going to be able to watch it and and these kind of things because it's going to, just going to be Game of Thrones and Middle Earth or something like that. Mm-hmm. We just don't know. Like we know very little about it. We just know basically what I've told you at this point. So <laughs> so we'll just have to see. Well, I have to say that at least you've got your franchise a little bit further along than mine because Netflix still own the Chronicles of Narnia and we still really haven't heard anything about it. So well, <sighs> I'm just an option to be patient. That's right. That's right. I I would I really hope uh, they do get around to doing that, and I would love I would love to see it done very well. So, um, well, if it's not, you can guarantee you'll hear about <laughs> it on Pints with Jack. I bet I will. <laughs> I bet I will. <laughs> John, thank you so much for coming on Pints with Jack. Where can listeners go to listen to your podcast, find out more about you, and can you give us a sneak peek of anything you've got in the pipeline? Um, so they can go to TolkienRoad.com. That's the easiest place to find us. Um, I also want to just say that, uh, we're putting a lot of 
starting to put a lot more work into our YouTube channel. Um, so encourage people to go over there and, and check us out on YouTube, subscribe, uh, subscribe to us over there doing in addition to doing, you know, our episodes, our kind of podcast format episodes, like, like we're doing here, I'm doing shorter videos where I, you know, we'll dive into an aspect of lore. I've done, um, topics like, uh, Tolkien versus the Nazis. Uh, he, he said mm-hmm. some really, uh, uh, interesting things, uh, like in a good way about, uh, against the Nazis, uh, back when it was, uh, back when it was not the cool thing to do. So um, so I've got a video about that over on that channel and just a lot of other content that you can check out if you want to learn more about Tolkien and about Middle Earth. I, of course, encourage you to check out my books, Tolkien's Requiem and Tolkien's Overture. And, um, you know, right now we're we're kind of coming out of that, um, you know, summer travels and everything. So we've been we've been getting in episodes uh, uh, you know, pretty consistently, but I think we're really, we've, we've covered so much ground Part of me is thinking we're going to go back to the Silmarillion and uh, and start stepping through the Silmarillion again um, with everything that we've learned over the last uh, six years of podcasting. <laughs> I think we've got some new things to say about it. So Wonderful stuff. Well, thanks again for coming on the show. Thank you all for listening, uh, particularly our Patreon supporters and especially our top tier supporters. Dawn, Sterling, Shane, John, Kevin, Brian, Kay, Monique, Paul, Kimberly, Gillis, Gary, Stephen, Matt, Jeff, Kelly, Chris, John, James, Kate, and Rowdy. You can always find out more about the podcast at pintsofjack.com, and there you can send us messages, listen to past episodes, and pick up some of our lovely Pints of Jack t-shirts and laser-etched glasses. And please join us next time, when Matt will be speaking to New York Times bestselling author Patty Callahan about her upcoming book, and when we'll go further up and further in. Cheers. Cheers.